All right, we're live. Um, All right. Phil, uh, I would like to bring an important matter to your attention. Mm-hmm. Are you aware that it is... We're in February, as I was calling. Are you aware that it's Black History Month? I, am, I don't know if, I you're, I don't know if you're aware of that. You I of all people. Maybe I mean, you're aware of that. I mean, you know, sometimes I just... You know, so I, I wake up and make Black History every day that I tend to forget that we have a month. So, like, you know, shout out to Black History Month, you know, in February. And today's a, and this year's a leap year. So we have a, a longer time to be extra black. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we cover Black History, even though you get the shortest month of the year. And it's the coldest month, more or less. It's generally the coldest month. Mm. Uh and you got to compete with Valentine's Day and Groundhog Day and President's Day and Chinese New Year in your month. Oh, yeah. Damn. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I just want to take this time for the for this month to commemorate uh, all the achievements of, of African-American people. Sorry. Okay. Uh, sorry. BIPOC people because uh, African-American people on Twitter tell me that's what I'm supposed to say now. Uh so and the and the thing is the thing is Phil they speak all of them they speak they claim to speak for all black people so I don't know if I can ignore them or not each one of them claim to speak for all black people sorry African American people so uh yeah you can ignore them that's that's fine because I mean everyone likes to say they speak for somebody but then it's like you know uh kind of like the what is it the the reverse savior method that white women love to do where it's like. That you're a white guy. You're making. You can't make authentic Mexican food, um, or you know stuff like that. So it's like, I don't know, man. Like pe- people are dumb. People are idiots. Uh, people need to like you know step off social media for a while and go touch some grass, like the kids would say. Well, it's black hair off, so I'm obligated to tell you that's racist. Are you? Oh wait, why was? How was that racist? Well, I mean. Uh, that's why. That's how I understand it. That this month is just every every unless we're celebrating you. It's racist until March first, and then we then I go back and not caring anymore. As I understand it, I go on to caring about whatever I'm supposed to care about for that month. I think it's women. I think it's uh, women's yes, history month. it's Women's History Month. All right. So on that, Phil, especially because you're uh, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer of the Omnibus Productions. Oh, okay. Uh, I want to present to you my. Li- I've done some research. It's a black history. Okay. I would like to present to you my report on uh, some notable black people who I feel like we need to acknowledge their achievements here on the Omnibus. Okay. Would you uh, like, would you like me to hear my presentation? Uh, sure. Uh, go ahead. Start it off. Let's 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 hear. All right. So first, uh, very unsung hero, uh, Jefferson Pierce, uh, <laughs> grew up and uh, you know worked his way up from the suicide slums. Uh, uh, Metropolis, um, you know, just grew up and and to pray to poverty and and all sorts of, of racism and and uh, you know, really really terrible things. Had a tough life, but he managed to climb his way up to become a gold gold medal winning Olympic decathlon. Uh-huh. Right? Isn't that great? Yeah. He pulled himself up by this restrapped efforts and Pierce, right? And and that that he. He came, did things. He came, he came. He went back to the hood. Right. He came back with the hood. You mm-hmm. know, you know, married his his wife, Lynn Stewart. Got some children. Became teacher, the principal of his high school. So he's giving back. Right? Yes. yes. And, and then he stood up to this criminal gang called the One Hundred. 
right? And any corporations who are trying to gentrify the hood, the criminal underlord Tobias Whale. And more importantly, on top of the disadvantages of, of poverty that, you know, are endemic to, to black people, especially black people in uh, suicide slums. Because, uh, you know, well, Superman, Superman, well, see, he isn't doing anything to help them. He's too busy fighting aliens and Lex Luthor, right? He's not helping the black people on suicide slums. So, you know, he harnessed his uh, growing metagene, right, set off by the Dominators in that invasion, <laughs> and becomes, harnessed his electrical power. Um, it's either that or he had a belt that gave him power. It's, I hear a lot of conflicting stories. Anyway, yeah. he, becomes, uh, he becomes the hero of Black Lightning, which I guess is racist, but, you know, it's okay if a black person calls himself Black Lightning, right? Yeah, so it's all right, you yeah. know. So, yeah, and then, and then see, on top of that, Right, this unsung hero of Black Lightning, who is now fighting the 100, and he, he joined the Justice League eventually. I think it's a, it might have been a furtive action thing, but he eventually joined them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also worked his way up to become uh, Secretary of Education under the Lex Luthor Presidential Administration. Administration. Yeah, and that's really important because we all know Lex Luthor doesn't really, you know, we all know the flaws of that administration and, and the failures. But he, even though he he conflicted with his uh, political and philosophical differences he exhibited by bipartisanship right he set aside you know his ideological differences to do good within the system right as i understand it mm-hmm. right so um and then you know he's also part of the outsiders he fought he fought uh the omac people omac in infinite crisis um yeah you know black uh jefferson pierce black lightning i think he's the it's a recognition uh, let me. That's just one. Let me go to my the second person I would like to shout out. Um, so there's a this one. He's faced injustice within the uh, the prison system, false incarceration, which I know uh, in my 20 minutes of research for this all this project. Is this uh, is this Luke Cage? This is a man named Carl Lucas. Ah, all right. Luke and Cage. he was in prison for a crime he did not commit, which I know is. Something you're obviously familiar with, being from the hood, Phil. You saw all your friends and family being sent away for crime. Uh, they didn't commit, but also some they did commit. But you know, you had to. You told me about your best friend Franklin, who had to sell uh, crack cocaine on the streets and rise up, <laughs> rise up because he's being propped up by the CIA. Yes. You know, and then your your friend uh, again, once again, you know, your poor friend Bishop, who. You know, shot this poor bodega shopkeeper and he became mad with power on the mm-hmm. try to earn the respect of the juice of the streets. Yes. And then you try to call him out, you ha- you guys got to fight, he fell off the rooftop. Yeah, and I got the juice now, so there's also that too. So like I just I just can't drink it. Yeah, so like Carl Lucas, right? Like he's falsely imprisoned for a crime and then he's subjected to an experiment against his will. Like so many horrible things have happened to Black people, aka African American people, aka BIPOC people, mm-hmm. <laughs> in prison, and it gave him unbreakable skin. It gave him super strength, but you know, not. I, I know not all black people are lucky, because uh, and then he became a hero for hire, right? And you know, he had to. He, he made people pay him <laughs> to, to to fight crime, and then, you know, he also had to put up with uh, Doctor Doom not giving him two hundred dollars. Yeah, oh yeah, Sophie's case. You yeah. have to go all the way to Liberia, fight through all those Doom bots and those guards. You know, where's my money, honey? And all that. 
And, uh, so there's another uh, notable figure I want to shout out. Um, I would like to uh, continue. Would you like? Would you like me to continue on on the other notable cheap uh, figures? I, I, uh, I, I mean, you go ahead. Give one more. Give one more. Oh, I, I could give you five more. Right? There's the RZA and the Jizza, uh, Method Man, aka Johnny Blazit, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Old Dirty Bastard. Because mm-hmm. you know, they'll father to a style, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and 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 uh, Ray Kwan, the chef, you know, that's really big because he and uh, who was it? He was beefing with, with you know, the Killer Hill Stapleton thing, ghost, a ghost face killer, yeah, so, yeah, you know, they were beefing, right? As at least as so, at least uh, as I understand for all three seasons of Wu Tang and American <laughs> Saga, uh, you know, and and. You know, I, I would, you know, you're from Staten Island and in the Bronx. So I'm assuming, you know, you grew up just just facing, you know, caught in the you had to literally crawl through those drive those drive by shootings between Killer Hill and Stapleton. Mm. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, just that seeing your childhood heroes, you know, these these famous black people, Riza, Jizza, Rayquan, they all move out to New Jersey, leaving you, you, you guys behind. No, except no, Method Man's still there, right? <laughs> I think he's the only one that still lives there. Uh, yeah, I think he has a house both in Staten Island and Jersey, I, if I recall. Yeah, but you know, they they climbed up from they cl- they worked their way up to be these uh, awesome, you know, this amazing rap group, changed hip hop forever, uh, and then made an al- and then sold an album, sold their own one album to Martin Scarelli, you know. <laughs> And then when you get it, and isn't that isn't that a great notable achievement? How many other black people can say they only made one album and legally cannot uh, legally lost the rights to it to, to uh, asshole pharmacist? Oh for, god! For, until I think twenty eighty eight. I think that's what it was. Twenty eighty eight. Twenty eighty eight. Really? I, it's, it's ridiculous. Like. Oh, like, I thought I thought they owned all their masters. Damn, that's crazy. I don't know. I know it's it's. I'm sorry. I would like to apologize that I I'm not quite as read up on my Black history. Uh, you do you accept my apology on behalf of all African American <laughs> people slash Black people slash BIPOC people? Uh, no, because you clearly like was giving me a story and you just spat in my face. So okay, I, no. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Well, the last one, the last important figure I would like to bring up. Okay, right. and and I think it's the most underappreciated of all figure of all Black history. Uh, a man named Ye, formerly known as Kanye Omari West. Uh, you know, don't you know he he's he's one of the world's best selling music artists. 160 million records, 24 mm-hmm. grant. He won 24 Grammys. Yes, uh, I think that's the tenth most of all time. Uh, and and. You know, he he. The thing you need to understand, Phil, why he's so underappreciated, is that he was born to middle class parents, uh, grew up in a middle class environment. And the thing about it is that, but you know, because in the rap game, you know, and I understand, you know, in your culture, it's like, no, if you didn't come up from the hood, pull yourself up in the streets, you know, you're nothing. All right, you can't you can't have it, right? So you know, he had to put up with like the lack of respect in this. Uh, gatekeeping culture as i understand it right which you know i'm sure you you know also climbed up from abject poverty and like i said you saw your friend franklin 
go to jail for no yeah go to jail and all your you know friends tell them to go to jail because the cia made them sell coke oh yeah yeah I, all my all my friends don't like the cia <laughs> all right and then you know he he made he made millions and millions of dollars which i understand is is uh what racism is over right and he had to put up with you know this white girl taylor swift taking taking the spotlight from beyonce for having the best uh, <laughs> what was it? What was album, the quote? Album, album, best maybe. album of all time. You had to put up with Obama calling him a jackass on on, on an interview. Mm. You know, and then uh, he, now, he was the abomination of Obama's nation. I don't quite know what that means for sure. The abomination of Obama's nation. Oh, I didn't, I didn't quite, didn't quite catch that. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. And then, you know, he's just he's just done so much for the black community, right? Especially, you know, he's he's supporting Trump and trying to bridge that bipartisan gap again, like Black Lightning did for the Lexington administration. You know? And he's running he's running for president he's running for president in twenty twenty. And he uh might run again for twenty twenty four. So, you know, don't you aren't you gonna vote for president pres, you know, presidential candidate Wes, Kanye slash Yee? I don't, don't quite know. I don't quite know what his name is anymore. It's yay. Yay, yeah. Also, but, also, you know, he spoke out. Remember, Katrina, he spoke out against George Bush. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Yeah, I remember that. I, I remember watching that live. Yeah, yeah. And also, he points out the important truth that he said uh, African, the 400 years slave in Africa uh, was a choice. You know? I also remember that too, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you people chose to be enslaved. Yeah. <laughs> You could have, you know, in Africa, you, you know, as 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 I understand, they sell each other, right? Maybe that may or may not have inspected the woman king. I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, we 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 just yo, just oh my god, my head, my head hurts. Yes. Oh well, my god. I mean, I know you're being overwhelmed by the preponderance of, of black history. I, I'm putting out there my knowledge of these achievements. <laughs> Especially him marrying uh, Kim Kardashian, and they have two kids. Yeah, four okay. kids. Four kids, even even better, right? <laughs> Kardashians, and um, you know, if you're not going to recognize Kanye, we're going to recognize him here in this comic, where there's a character based on Kanye and clearly mimicking his his generosity and achievements for black people. <laughs> <laughs> And that, if you like that, you're going to like that next one we're going to talk about today. The best part of the Wicked and the Divine. That opening took way too long. Holy shit. Oh, my God. It was only... I'll have to go back and measure it. Um, (laughs) But again, Phil, like, we only have one month to celebrate the achievements of black people. And then one more, and then a day, one day in June. So, I got (laughs) to... <laughs> Got to cram it all in there, right? That's what uh, <sighs> that's what people like. Uh, that's what all these, you know, middle cl- upper middle class and rich de- black people who vote Democrats tell me, and all the mm. black people on Twitter tell me. <laughs> I see. Anyways, we're continuing our series on the Wicked and Divine, Wicked End of End of the Divine by Kieran Gillen and Jamie Kelby, with the third collection uh, collected as the third omnibus. Issues 23 through 33, and it's the story arcs, the Imperial phase, right? 
Unless there's, or is there some other orcs? Yeah, no, this, no, this is this is the imperial phase. Yes. So now we're looking at you know what happens to teenagers with godlike power with no accountability whatsoever. You know their uh, grandmother figure is dead. Uh, Minerva's parents are dead. Uh, and, and not not just dead, like what a, murdered by one of them. Uh, yeah. Well, what was it? Uh, Laura. Like Laura murdered Laura murdered Anaki, so she didn't just die; they killed her. Yeah, they killed Anaki, but Anaki killed uh, Minerva's parents. Yeah, and you know Lucifer and all these other people. Yeah. Um, so we're you know where we last last left off, right? It's it's a new status quo, right? They they've defeated the bad guy, so it seems now the gods are this the pantheon are left to chart their own path. Mm-hmm. From what sounds like the first time ever, you know this is unprecedented in the history of the uh, the recurrence. And man, they fuck things up so bad. Oh yeah, no, oh my gosh, like it's it's almost as if like there was a uh, what is it called a inhibition collar, and they just like tore it off, and now it's just you know sex parties and drugs, you know, and it just makes sense. Like you know that's what gods did back in the day uh, when they used to walk the earth of man. And, you know, that's what human-like gods, a.k.a. rock stars, pop stars, you know, rappers, that's what they do now. So to get those two things combined into one uh, embodiment, it just makes all the more sense in the world. Because they're doing doing humans, they're doing each other, they're doing it, they're they're just, it's just a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of messy, messiness all around. Yeah, it's a good way to pot. Right, messy. Yeah. Um, so, the wicked and divine. Um, let's start it off from the beginning. And unlike the previous run, where they do that thing where to give the main series to catch up, you know, Jay McKelvey, they let a bunch of guest artists take over a single issue. Right. Uh, this this whole arc is entirely back to Jay McKelvey taking over, which makes sense because this is the real. You know, we've gotten to know these characters. You know, the plot. Well underway, and, and we're seeing God the consequences of their actions, as well as some new twists that happen. Um, so with that, I thought it was a really cool choice that this arc, right? It's a new status quo. We're like, where do we go from mm-hmm. here? It opens up on issue twenty-three with uh, entire a pro like an issue. Is, I think it's all pros. The entire issue um, is all pros for the most part. For the most part. Uh, uh, mimicking like an in-universe uh, fashion culture, yeah, fashion culture celebrity magazine, yeah. which and something really funny Kieran Yellen does is that he he's 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 the editor in the universe in the universe of this magazine, and the people who work on the comic are also the staff on it, so they're kind of tugging cheek on it. And specifically, it opens with a featurette on Ball. Which I'm assuming a lot of the images here are, are taken from actual photo shoots Kanye's done. Uh, I don't think no, I don't no. Okay, that's just I know a lot of these are very styled, like what you would see in like a fashion magazine. I mean, <laughs> well, is, yes. again, that. But like, I mean, it, like even though like we're seeing the actual like God posing anything like Baal posing for this, you know, cologne. Uh, like a lot of these celebrities, like don't really do that. Well, at least the male ones that I I follow, they don't tend to do that. 
Um, that's more of what like the female celebrities tend to do. Um, so again, it's just it's interesting to see like you know capture capture lightning in a bottle. Bael, bye, Bael. Um, so I just thought that was that was pretty funny. And then of course we got a nice uh, what's it called contents uh, contents page uh, telling us what we're going to see, what type of articles are there, as well as you know really getting ton in cheek with this like fourth wall in universe break if if that makes sense yeah because actually in some ways it kind of mimics like the classic like letters to the fans page before you know and and, like silver in like you know superhero comics from the golden silver age Mm -hmm. and and it's sort of like evoking that but it's like the letter to the readers of the magazine kieran gillen so like the way he's writing it it's also kind of playing on events of the past comic but also the events of these universal like i think you can tell they most of this is known to the world like they know out of keys that the pantheon are just trying new course um i i will take it back this issue so it's all prose they're just illustrations like in the magazine they're all done by kevin wada i think it looks like yes they, yes they are well, not all of them. Uh, I think most of them are. Uh, wait. Oh, no, that's also Kevin Water. Yeah, they're all done by Kevin Water. Yeah, presumably to give Jamie Kelby a break. Um, so here, here's the first question. How does this work for you, Phil? That you're reading a comic, which is, you know, visual media. <laughs> and there's one issue. It's like, why am I reading a magazine article? Why is it just much? I'm not really here to read paragraphs and columns. Yes, exactly. And you know what? Uh, I did not read this. I, I, I skipped. I skipped it. I'm not gonna lie. I, I was like, I am not reading this. I I'm not here for a magazine. I'm here for a comic. So I just skipped all the way to issue 24. Okay, so I did read it. In terms of plot, it doesn't reveal anything uh, unexpectedly. Because that would be, I think, a really bad move to put any plot relevant info in this in this type of thing. You know, it's a gimmick, but I think it's a fun gimmick. It works in the context of this universe. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, like again, this is these gods, and they occupy the intersection of, of celebrity and, and influencers. Um, basically, what is kind of fun is that you get to hear kind of the character, like uh, uh, a perspective on just what how egotistical and these things. It's just like, oh, this is a trendy art thing. Same thing with a wooden, right? And that's the second article, mm-hmm. which I thought is really funny. <laughs> Because, like, you can tell it's written that way that, like, you know, Variety or Hollywood Reporter, these, like, first-person interviews, the uh, the, the the interviewer, just, like, you hear their perspective. And Laurie Petty, the writer, quote-unquote, <laughs> on this article, is just, like, old, like try to get out of, like, don't, please don't interview, please don't make me interview Wooden. Specifically, like, they're talking about feminism and, and stuff. Um, although, this illustration, can you see this? The one, do you know the one with the two Valkyries and there's Wooden and he's got the crown and the fur coat? Yes, yes. I'm assuming that's a reference to something. I feel like it is too, but I don't know what. Well, I mean, it's like a pimp, obviously, with the pimp cane and the, the velvet tiger. Oh, Laura Penny is an actual real person. Wow. Okay. I take that back. <laughs> um, but yes. And then the um, last. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say you know, I, I mean, I'm looking at it like I guess you can see it that way, right? Like the idea of the pimp king, and you know, but also like I guess the type of royalty, um, because he's wearing the crown to the side, almost like you know the 
a picture of Biggie Smalls at uh at the club, you know, in in uh, Luke Cage that Cottonmouth has. Okay. I was gonna say, isn't that like? I mean, I appreciate you making it into grounding it in a reference I can understand, but isn't that a reference <laughs> to like an album he did or something like that? An album cover? Yes, it is. It is reference to the album cover. The uh, what is it called? The Biggie Duets. Mm-hmm. Again, I have probably never. I don't think I've ever heard a song by Biggie. <laughs> Uh, you probably have. Probably. All my knowledge comes from Luke Cage. I have not watched Notorious. I'm told it's kind of me. It is. Uh, anyways, and then the third article is switching to Lucifer. Uh, and drawing like the, <laughs> it's a title. I do enjoy the title. I saw you kissing Satan, Claus. Yes, and this was uh, written by Mary H.K. Choi. Hmm. Who I Yes, it's like I think maybe it's their editor or someone who works at Image. Uh, no, she is. I believe she's a writer. Because, okay. like Laura Penny is also a um, it's an actual British journalist. Let's oh, see. okay. Uh, yeah. So, so, oh, Mary H. K. Choi is an author, editor, and television and print journalist. Okay, so it would not surprise me that either Kirigua, who I'm assuming is friends with these people, got them to write for this comic or maybe he just asked for or he just asked for permission to pretend to be them yes exactly and oh she's uh corresponding on vice news tonight on hbo so there's also that that makes sense this this magazine reads like how vice used to be back in the day Mm. makes a lot of sense but anyway it's a it's an article by lucifer the last one recorded before lucifer died um and then there's another one with ama tarazu anyways i guess (laughs) you're saying you did not like this gimmick no i did not and i'm gonna be honest it is you can tell because we've been reading these these type of comics long enough that these type of mainstream creator driven they they just they do a gimmick like this to give the main artists a chance to catch up you know or to give them time Mm. um i thought this is one of the better examples of this working there's another one i know in um ben this is melise daredevil that one is less justified because it's uh, Ben Yurik talking to Jonah Jameson. Oh, yeah. What's it? Because it Sorry. was like just before the trial. It's, it, it's not in. There is one in Daredevil, but no, I was kind of confused with Alias. Just oh, Jones. okay. Uh, alias Part 1 or Alias justified. Part 2? Uh, the original run. Okay. Yeah, but that one is less justified. You can t- I mean, it looks cool, but you can tell it's like, all right, we're just going to put it all in text to so give them time to write. Um, you know, Jamie McKelvey draws. You, you can tell his 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 drawing style takes a long time, so I don't blame him. Mm. Um, you could cut this; you wouldn't lose anything. It does add a little bit of flavor to the world, which I enjoy, especially since in this arc in particular, there's not really time for that anymore because now we're getting into the into the meat of the plot and its characters' betrayals and backstabbing. So all all that kind of. The story has taken quite its time to like build the build the world and show you how other people are, but now it's getting into kind of the end game of the story. Right. So, you know, thumbs up for me, thumbs down for Phil. Whatever. <laughs> I do like I do like I do enjoy the fake ads. So. Oh yeah, I mean all the fake ads are great. I I enjoy that. Like they're selling a, a crappy iPhone and not iPhone, I guess. Uh, and it's funny because it's uh it's the it's the the, the skull is the logo they use for the t- the title page. 
Right. Which we haven't talked about. I want to, I want to take some, let's let's take a minute to pause, talk about this, about Jay McKelvey uh style, his design and and kind of how graphic design plays into this into the series. That's mm-hmm. very important. So before each issue, each chapter, there's a circular and it's like it's a circle around the title, and then there's an icon of each god. And I think it's it's changing as it changes as the issues go by. When right. when gods are dead, they're replaced with a skull. You know, when certain gods get added, like Udir or Persephone, their icons get added, or you you like you know, you learn about like the Baphomet Nurgle, it changes, I think, a little bit. Um what do you think about incorporating this type of thing, this kind of design work into the narrative, Phil? Uh, thought, it reminds me a lot cool. of like, like, yeah, because like Hickman does a lot of that same thing. He, like the the art is not just the art of what's the story that he has these recurring design work. In, right. Because in... he has he has his motif right, which when you know it's a Hickman book, there's going to be a lot more thought into what we're seeing on the page uh here in uh wicked and divine i'd say it's the complete opposite it's just here to give us a me personally i feel like it's only here to really give us like an idea of who we are working with as well as like who's left on the board um with persephone there we go um arrival she doesn't have a circle it's still the original 12 because at first I thought she was the replacement of like Lucifer with the skull, but as we went on, it's like nothing really happened. Um, so the, oh, so there is no like real replacement. It's just like showcasing who is still alive and who's still dead. And even Baphomet's uh, symbol is still pretty much the same. But I thought it was cool to see like you know the addition of Dionysus, where I thought his was unique, where his was the only one in color um and again like i also thought it was pretty cool because like the grapes technically when shown in color were supposed to be like red and blue pills which i thought was fascinating because mm. he because of the euphoric feel he's able to give and then of course the uh world tree the uh Udrasu, as the symbol for udir um that was neat i guess well it plays it to the whole thing of again these characters are icons right um, their their gods or celebrities, but it's also it's the, the it plays into the visual language of of comics to use unique to this medium. It can use symbols, it can use graphic icons mm-hmm. to convey like a story meaning, right? Um, like and to have it associated with these characters, we see it in superhero comics. Like they do something cool. It's like. Um, you know, they're like each character has a has a logo to them. You see the Justice League or the Avengers, right? right. Uh, Hickman plays it up a lot. Um, they have they have sometimes when they're introduced, like when they say their name, it's the title logo of their comic. So it's yeah. something comics that does really well that I I think it's really cool. The Wicked Divine is playing with. It's also a thing about Jamie McKelvey's that he he's very skilled at being a designer. Right. I don't think I mentioned this before, but what one of the other notable accomplishments he did is that he was the one who redesigned the Captain, the Miss Marvel into Captain Marvel costume. No, I did not know that. 
Yeah, he like he came. He, he he didn't draw the book. He didn't work on the book at all. Right. But he was the he was the one that came up with the character design of like we're not going to do the black swimsuit because that doesn't really fly and, <laughs> and uh, modern day superhero design. He was the one that came up with the red and blue and gold. Oh, um, oh. And I think that's important before we continue on the story that he does. I think I would say that's his biggest strength as an artist is that he came up. He's you have these thirteen unique characters. Mm-hmm. And he comes up with a unique character design. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think is this also the book where we get to see where we go back in the past or no, not yet. No, not yet. I mean there's a little bit of that, but not not you're talking about like the nineteen twenties recurrence that's in the final the final book. That's the final book. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say but, like because we, we get to see it as well for like the older uh gods as well. So we get that type of perspective as well. But that's to get back to that, it's really important to have like an iconic design for each year. If you're telling a story, that's a huge ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. Visual medium. Like it's not enough just to have different character making characters stand out in terms of dialogue and their characters. You have to visually be very, very different. Um like what is that thing we learned in grad school, Phil, about like the Simpsons? It's like they're an archetype of like great like they're still like you could tell they're great characters because you could just tell by their silhouettes who they are. Yeah, oh yeah, because like because it, because of how distinct their silhouettes are, we automatically know who they are without having to see uh, their face, if you will. So because like you know, for example, Marge's beehive is iconic, right? Because you can pick that out of a crowd. Same thing with Bart's Bart spikes, uh, Lisa's uh, also spikes. spikes. Yeah, starfish yeah. spikes. And, you know, Homer's bald head with the two lines. Um, and, <clears throat> because of, and because of that great graphic design element that's going on there, you are able to, one, not only you get to play around with them like Guy Incognito or Herbert. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they can fit within any sort of uh, design language that you would want to put them in as well, like the couch gags. Um, where they pay homage to, like, well, the newer ones, anyways, where they pay homage to, like, s- certain anime shows or the Teletubbies and, and stuff like that. And it's the same thing with these 12 characters. Like, you could just, even if you didn't know who they were, you could tell, like, this character, Minerva doesn't look, has a completely different design from Ball, has a completely different design from Amaterasu, so on and so forth. Right. Which, uh, um, to be fair, because uh, I know that when we talked about like, Oh, each character is based off of a specific musician or somebody in life. Um, a lot of it that we see in terms of the other gods of like, you know, past and present, I know we haven't gone there, but I just want to bring that up. They're also based off of other people as well. So like the Baal of like the 1920s was based off of like Langston Hughes and like Harlem Renaissance artists or, uh, writers, um, or Sasanowo, who's a Japanese guy based off of like, um, What's his name? Uh, I can't. Remember. I can't think of his name. Damn it! And, and it's a nice aesthetic that you could tell, like it carried over from this duo working in superhero comics, because mm. uh, you know they work on like I, I don't know about Jay McKelvey, but like Kieran Gillen's written for the X Men. Jay McKelvey, I think, has done some kind of team. Probably has done team books. All so, like, thing I can think of cool is just Young Avengers. Was this before or after Young Avengers? I think this is slightly after, maybe been ongoing, slightly, uh-huh. maybe a little bit after. But like, 
that's the thing is that they have experience drawing these very di- visually. They ha- you have to draw very dis- visually distinct ensemble characters. Mm. Uh, and I like this, the Wicked Divide. It feels in many ways like, in some ways, an evolution of that aesthetic, of that genre, but applied to something completely different. Uh, this this something a story that Kieran Gillen brings in with this. So I was doing some research. Apparently, the inspiration for the story was that this was him dealing with uh, his father's passing. Oh, and that's why really? there's all these. Uh, yeah, that's why, like, the whole central conceit of, like, dying and then reincarnating and all that. That's his kind of inspiration. So, on that, um, getting into the story, right? Anaki's dead, and the gods are kind of left to pick up the pieces, and Laura Wilson is, uh, there's a lot of interesting... Her character did not develop in the way I expected, which I thought oh. was... Uh, <laughs> what, 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 were you, what were your expectations here, Eric? What were you thinking? Well, because she set up initially as, like, the audience surrogate character, right? Yeah. She's, like, the fangirl, and she desperately wants to be them. And then she ends up being kind of the major catalyst for change. She's the destroyer, right? She fixes them up. Mm -hmm. And I think, at least the way I read it, we are initially to believe that, because I guess she's the the more human, you know, she has the most morality because she has to live in that, in that fucked up world mm-hmm. that the, the Pantheon has, that she would be kind of the voice of reason, morality. And she's not at all. No, not <laughs> so, at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, largely that, due, partially, partially, largely due to some of the things inflicted on her, but like her family being killed. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed, it was a very surprising character. You can see her in this first part, she's just like tormenting Woden in the, uh, with her, with her Persephone powers, throwing them into darkness. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating you thought that, because, like, I I felt like she's going in the way that I absolutely thought she would go in. Like, she got the power. If if uh, Anaki didn't do what she did, I feel like then she would still have, like, that type of morality compass. Uh-huh. But because of all those types of... all Because of that traumatic event and, you know, leading up to who, her even killing Anaki... Um, it just made sense for her to continue to spiral uh, in this like self-absorbed matter of conceit that is also a touch of you know self-deprecation um, because again like she she's reached godhood and I feel like you know the quote here right the you know power corrupts absolute power corrupts she has absolute power now that she is a god. So she's absolutely corrupted in the things that she's, like, doing. Yeah, that's a good way to sum up what kind of this arc is, is seeing her spiral downwards. Uh, which was kind of funny in contrast to, like, Ball, who's also a character, I, I would argue the character, like, the other character that has the most focus is that now you see the opposite. Now he's kind of getting his act together. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like the response. He's the one that understands the gravity of the situation. The big thing I really like, you see his focus on his relationship with Minerva. He was like, he's like such a dick in the first 20 <laughs> issues. Oh, he just like, you know, like like the characters model after. But Minerva, he genuinely has a soft spot for because she's going to die at, in like, what, eight months, a year or something like that. They're going like, off the calendar. Yeah. Cause like, and not uh, only that, but she's also gonna die before like she turns fourteen, or just like when she turns fourteen. So it's like even more heartbreaking that she doesn't get to experience life as it is. 
Yep. And then on top of that, here's the complication, the plot complication, right? Kyoanaki, and then there's this literal darkness, darkness figure coming after them. And it's like, oh, you know, what did we what did we do? You know, and that's kind of kicks off this this next arc, right? They had to figure out how to fight this darkness. They don't really they don't really come together because of all their, their personal issues and their squabbles. Mm-hmm. Um and then would you like to summarize? Okay, and this is the part where I really enjoy is so they're they're faced with this new foe, right? They don't understand it. They don't know what to do. And they all come together, right? We're gonna vote on what what is it we're gonna do, right? Mm. And I think this was so perfect because it really just show, it's a perfect it succinctly shows up, shows the reader like what these characters are all about. And there's some unexpected twists. So there's like three different both in the way they talk and interact, it's just so perfect of of how these characters just hate each other and 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 making fun of each other and mocking each other, don't respect each other. And kind of their approach to the situation is very revealing. Uh, and they, they're basically with three options. We're going to fight, stand up to this great darkness, mm-hmm. solve it. We're going to study it, right? We need to understand what we're doing because there's, there's, there's a lot of things they don't understand yet about Naki's plan. And I still don't understand myself, right? The careful approach. And then there's the approach that uh, Sigmund <laughs> advocates. It's just, who cares? Anarchy, right? Let's Anarchy. Just, let's just party and do whatever we want until then, because we're all going to die eventually. Um, and I really, like, even just, like, saying how they vote, it's just so perfect of all these characters, right? Mm. It makes sense. Uh just even the, the pose of how they look is so perfect. And then the big surprise is that Laura Wilson, who just says, anarchy. <laughs> Let's just, we don't, I don't want to do anything. You know, like everyone's just, everyone decide on what they want to do. And it's a great page where she makes this decision because she's, the, she's the, the tie-breaking vote. Right. And it's like, she takes up half the page and kind of the frame it's like her hair but also i guess maybe it's like her vines which are associated with her right kind of encroaching on the space and covering up uh some of these gods yeah and like especially like looking at like the three gods that we're looking at and like towards diagonal right so you can see the heartbreak in bile's eyes you can see the uh concern and confusion within Uter's eyes and then of course you know Sekhmet is like yeah she's with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah and it's it was a I think that's the thing I enjoy it's like a more conventional more surprise a more conventional safer writing choice when it's just like alright we have conflict we need to work to solve it but it mm-hmm. says like nope we're just gonna throw this dynamite and we're all gonna squabble amongst ourselves and there's something like I'm thinking a lot more as I read more and more of the Wicked and Divine is that it avoids a lot of safe storytelling choices. Mm. It's like these characters are constantly surprising you. Um, but also in a way, both there's a little bit, at least for me, there's a little bit of drawback that it becomes harder for me to kind of keep track of like all these twists and turns and these because like these relationships are such a mess. Like it's also kind of hard for me to figure out some of the motivations, at least for Laura and whatnot. 
um i don't know did you how did you how did you feel about like this this narrative choice here phil and kind of where these characters are, are going and just the rest of the story just them being a mess you know, like I, I thought it was interesting. It it brought another level of intrigue to see what each of these people were going to do. So, like, despite it being the choice of like anarchy, um, again, like like uh, Dionysus says, right? If the choice is no choice at all, then you can still do the thing that you wanted to do in the first place. Um, so now we have like these uh, the three groups now. So we have the study group, we have the fight the darkness group, and we have our you know fuck it we ball group. That's that's the best way to describe it. Um, so it's just now seeing that dynamic and like the conflicts among themselves. So now we're gonna get to see some some infighting, right? Because now the best type of story there is in you know for humans is is drama amongst ourselves so we get to see how it plays out yeah and it's it's kind of it's, it's just like this it becomes kind of just like a big soap opera at this point like the thing <laughs> i think you know it's like like you know like skins or industry Ooh. or or gray's anatomy or i mean you're scared i haven't watched those but like this is like that's the other element that you don't you know Mickey Divide can be classified as fantasy, it can be classified as like pop. But it's also like, yeah, this is just at its most so operatic. These characters mm-hmm. are just fucking each other, fucking over each other, you know. <laughs> uh, and then we get into here's the kind of the more of the plot is this new character, new old character is introduced, which is mm-hmm. someone named David Blake. Uh, I'd like to sum up to our listeners who this character is and, and what this character... And I thought it was just a strange choice to introduce this character so late in the story and then kind of there's a bigger twist of this. Yes. Uh, so David Blake is a researcher uh, who has been studying the Pantheon, the Pantheon for, I guess, you know, how long he's been alive since. Uh, it's apparently one of those things where it's like fascinating. The gods are the gods walk among us. We need to be able to study and understand how this works. Um, so that is his field of expertise. Uh, not only that, but he has shown up in uh, like the beginning of the books, uh, where during uh, some conference, him and Laura had gotten to, gotten into an argument about the. Uh, about the understanding and the purpose of the Pantheon, as well as uh, coming to support Uter in um, trying to find the killer. I mean, who the real killer was and try to get Lucifer exonerated. That that was the idea. I'm going to be honest, I totally forgot that you showed up earlier. Oh, uh, yes. Because, <laughs> and then that's probably intentional because you're just like, all right, he's just some ordinary world building character. And then there's so much stuff happened. And they come back in, which is why I, I forgot about this character. Yeah. Um, uh, and then he's like, yeah, contemporary of Cassandra because she was also researching the Pantheon before Riyadh and she's one of them. Uh, this is where we get kind of the meat of the plot, which I'm going to be honest, I kind of got lost. And this is where my one continuing critique of of the series is that the plot just comes in and out and it's hard to follow. So what mm-hmm. what happens from there on? What happens on from there on, Phil? Oh, so now from there on, we have uh, three different ways of uh, things happening. 
Uh, we have the studying of the machine that Woden built for uh, Anak. Uh, we have uh, Persephone trying to ruin everyone all around her, like trying to uh, sleep with Baphomet, who is uh, currently on the rocks with the Morgan because of you know everything that's happened prior to that. Um, I mean, well, like he cheated on the Morgan with Persephone, so now uh, they are in a weird, abusive, codependent relationship. I guess that's the best way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, it's a mess. And then she's also, and then she's also sleeping on Sekhmet, and it's like, are they just, you know, fuck buddies, or are they maybe it's becoming something more, or they, they, one of them wants to be more, neither of them wants to be more. It's another messy, messy trauma, sub-opery drama, right? Um, and then uh, we get to kind of the big twist through all the like messy soap opera stuff. There's also like a flashback, and then we we'll, we later learn the context of the flashback of like Sekhmet killing Amaterasu. Mm. Uh, and then the other big twist, which you really need to a little bit, a little bit help elaborating of like. This is, like I said, this is where the plot, I totally, like, <laughs> figured, like I lost the plot of, like, what, what happens on there, because it's just, like, characters are fighting each other and mad at each other. Right. Uh, so, let's see. Uh, so now we have Anag writing a letter, uh, like, six months earlier, you know, prior to her dying. Um, writing about the great, writing about the great darkness and the, the destroyer. Um, needing to be destroyed because, like, that's supposed to be Persephone, who uh, is essentially going to be the one who who leads everyone to hell, and the great darkness is going to be taking over. Um, so it's going to be her type of sacrifice. Um, again, that's more of like a red herring of everything that's going to be happening, and trying to get ready for combat that's the that's the best way to put it get ready for combat against the darkness so we see bile training minerva we see um what's it called we see persephone and amaterasu searching for uh sekhmet who has run away and you know uter and woden and dionysus still trying to figure out this this damn machine going into the underground to try and uh, talk to the Morgan to convince the what is it called? Trying to, to try and convince like the thing that's going on between her and Baphomet are not healthy. It needs to it needs to end. And the Morgan, of course, not listening because she is the one who brought Baphomet into the fold. And if she were to catch uh, Persephone again on her turf, she is going to murder her. So like you know all all that fun stuff. Just a lot a lot of uh, you know, teenage angst and drama going on, going on around. Yeah, uh, and then ten, like tensions boil over, right? Baff, like Ball and Sacrament are fighting. Udir, Udir, and Wod, you know, t- finally has enough of Woden's bullshit. <laughs> you know, like uh, Persephone just like fights, fight them all. And then in the midst of all this conflict, right? It's just like Udir and Persephone are arguing, and then. Uh, they, they discover like a hidden layer underneath the machine and mm-hmm. this is where kind of the big plot revelation which I mean I was like this part of this was 
hard for me to understand the ramification of all the stuff that happens is that there's another person dressed like Woden underneath. And it turns out that uh, uh, Woden is actually David Blake, right? Yes, yes. And then the person he's been holding hostage is his son, who is another god, as I understand. Yes, yes he is. He is the god of war, Mimir, from Norse mythology. Yeah. And that in reality, what happened was that he got turned into a god uh, in the recurrence, and then he was imprisoned by Nake and David. And David, I guess he was—he was—he wasn't actually a god. He was like pretending to be or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Oh and wait, sorry. Did. I need to—I need to correct that stuff. I don't know why I said God of War. Mimir is the like a wise god of the uh, of the Asir in in Norse mythology. I need—I need to go back and fix that. My my fault, guys. I was thinking of God of War for the PS4. He's the floating head. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like he's associated with Odin. He counsels Odin slash Woden. Gives him secret knowledge, which makes sense because his role in the story is that you know he he's the one doing stuff, building stuff. I mean, honest, this this really this really got. I totally did not. I just like at this point, like I don't know what the plot is. I don't wow. understand what the plot is. Other than we got talking heads, Minerva uh, finds a cave, and I guess Minerva is not really Minerva. No, Minerva is Anaki. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then the other thing, and she's been. <laughs> And it, like she's talking these heads, we sever, and then there's a shrine of the, the three heads of the gods who have died of Lucifer, Inara, and Terra. Mm-hmm. They're still alive after after fashion. Right. Oh gosh. So okay, I, I you said you lost the plot, so I guess I'll try and explain it as as properly as I can. Um. So Minerva is the younger self of anaki mm-hmm. so whenever uh so 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 in order for anaki to have her immortality uh she essentially splits her soul into two is that, is that revealed in this arc uh me, I'm, I'm skipping through to see okay if it's if it's if that's revealed in the later arc we shouldn't talk about that but also i would argue that's a little bit of a flaw of like yeah, yeah this it is this, this is this is it's and I see this a lot in like long serialized stories, like the the all the big reveals and whatnot, like, and all the like the oh, what do you have? Sorry, it, it it was revealed in this in this one that Minerva is a, is a Naki. Yeah, so I mean, that's like this whole arc, I it was hard for me to f- figure out what was going on. Uh, yeah, a lot of, they're all, a lot they're of all, double crossing. <laughs> all double crossing, a lot of fighting each other, a lot of messy. At this point, I was just like, throw my hands in the air. I'm just gonna listen to their. There's their snappy dialogue and, and like <laughs> Jamie Coffey's art, but uh, I think it says something that like I I have I have so much trouble following understanding it. You know, did you have trouble following understanding it? No, I I thought it was fine up until the reveal of like uh, Minerva was like Anaki, but I felt like once. I felt like like as things started to progress more, like Minerva's behavior started to feel very uh, suspicious, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy to me because it's kind of hard to really play up suspicion in such a light way. When it comes to comics, I feel like when it comes to suspicion, it needs to be overly done, um, which this kind of was, but wasn't. Um, again, so much teenage angst is going on here. 
Um, so it just made sense for Minerva to act the way she was acting, you know, in terms of her angst as well. Uh, but still, it, it just felt very suspicious compared to how her personality was within the first uh, 20 issues, first 22 issues. Um, so it felt like a really big shift in what was happening here. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of stuff happens and I got very lost. And, you know, and that's kind of part of the point, maybe, that this whole arc is about chaotic chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they kill their antagonists and they're turning on each other and just go on each other. I don't know. There's... It's a hard. It was hard to follow because I just. I, and I, the thing is, I don't know how much of that could be helped if you're just going to write a story with this many characters. Uh, I mean, well, yes, but I guess that's also a part of the, you know, the murder mystery, right? Because that was the whole idea. You have all these different suspects, so it just makes sense to have all all these characters. Think of it like Knives Out. Mm. Yeah, but Knives Out is it's a lot. It's a lot easier to follow because. It's it's just so much more tighter, and it is there is a plot as much as you know these characters are fleshed out, interesting. It's a little more plot driven, and it's just like mm-hmm. you know it feels like the plot. He took a break from the plot. He take this series. He takes so many breaks from the plot to just focus on like knowing these characters and whatnot, and then like all right, try to go back to the plot and cram it all in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just it's just. I don't know, maybe it's just it maybe it could just be me just how radiant, but it's it's a, there's a lot that happens. We'll see if it all comes together at the end. That's the thing. Okay, I mean, ooh, it's I mean yeah, it is it is a lot to take in. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of again like people doing really dumb decisions to to move the plot forward. But you know that's just how media is, right? When you watch something and you make a dumb decision. Here's a question. Here's a question because I well, know this tends a lot of people tend to have this is that when they see a story do a lot of these like characters doing stupid things because they're immature or whatever, mm-hmm. does it make you stop caring about them? A bit. It does. It does. It does. I mean, well, it depends. I should say, I should, I should do it like that. It depends. Um, because like I would say, for example, right. Um, David Lindelof's, um, Watchmen, right. Uh, Dr. Manhattan does a lot of really stupid things quote unquote, that just doesn't make sense for him to do because he's this omnipresent being. But at the same time, because of our understanding of Dr. Manhattan, his worldview is completely different from ours. So it kind of works that way. Well, it works in that because he perceives time as not linear, he thinks things are predetermined. That's why. And right. They kind of are. But in terms of like emotionally, you under I, I connect with the character and I understand that predicament. Whereas now at this point, because of all these like Persephone, I had a hard time reconnecting because now she's just acting so bad. <laughs> I'm just like, why do I care about this character? And I feel like Kira Gillian kind of wants you to feel so sympathy, you know? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It's like, but yeah, it's just she's acting like an addict. She's acting just like coming in and messing up all these people, all these yeah. relationships and these pantheons, and I guess the idea is that you're supposed to feel bad she's messed up, but maybe that's just me. You know, like this type of fall character, it's hard for me to empathize with when you're just like, you keep messing up other people's lives like this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're... I mean... 
if we're I don't know if we're supposed to sympathize with her. Uh because that's like that's, I guess that's the question, really. Yeah, I don't I don't I think feel, we I are. Feel, I feel like we I feel like we are a little bit. It's hard to say. Uh not I feel like not toward not towards the end. I, I think that's that's more more akin to that. But like right now, because of how I mean, she's self-destructive. She knows she's self-destructive, and she's more than willingly bringing everyone along else with her. Um, so it's kind of hard to sympathize with a character like that, uh, unless until they do like you know the final monologue, like I'm self-destructive because I can't love myself anymore, or some some garbage like that. Um, which I mean, it tends to always be the case, right? I'm self-destructive because I can't. I can't love myself. That's usually how that goes. And I think she has that same monologue in the cage, right? Like she was like, yo, I wish, I wish for this. I wish to, to die and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, again, I just, it's, I don't British teenagers, man. They, they need to do better. Everyone needs to strive to be James Bond over across the pond. You feel me? <laughs> I think that's a good note to <laughs> I'm Eric Wong. And I'm Phil Fleming. And we are the Misfits. 